Oh my goodness me, that is how you start a show. Hello everybody, welcome to Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 157. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Do not adjust your speakers. That was the brand new Metal Hammer Podcast theme song made exclusively for us by the awesome lads in Conjurer. Thank you very much, boys, for doing that for us. It sounds amazing. Uh, obviously, Conjurer, one of the most exciting young bands in British metal right now. Did this little theme tune. How good is that? Uh, I am joined today for the biggest Hall of Fame podcast we have ever done, quite easily, I think, uh, by Mr. Jonathan Seltzer, who is Reviews Editor of Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Seltz? I'm doing good. I'm fine. Yeah, enjoying this one last little snippet of summer. Yeah, apparently it's going to snow next week, so I don't know what the fuck's Yay. going on. Um, also, Joy Way. It's so cult. Also joined by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hill, our wonderful contributor to all things Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Steve? I'm alright, thanks, mate. I, I hope this isn't the last bit of summer, like you just said. It's fucking the 31st of March. That'll be Winter bad luck, coming. Yeah, fucking hell. Uh, but it has been nice, hasn't it? It's been lovely. It has. Yeah, it's been tops. Um, may it continue at some point, I guess. Uh, there is a brand new issue of Metal Hammer that is out right this very second. It is celebrating 20 years of Mutter by Ramstein. We go into one of the, uh, well, I think the album that really firmly and finally established them on the world stage. All the craziness behind the scenes, the uh, amazing, amazing songs that made up that record, the crazy tour that went with it as well. Uh, and just uh, arguably the most important chapter in Ramstein's entire career. So we're celebrating that in the new issue of Metal Hammer. It's out right now. If you go and pick it up in WH Smith, you'll actually get an alternative cover. You'll have Amy Lee of Evanescence on the cover because we also have a huge interview with Amy in the new issue that talks about the turbulent decade that she has had behind the scenes. It's actually been 10 years since we've had a proper full-length studio album of original material from Evanescence, uh, but she has certainly not been resting on her laurels there's been a lot going on there and we kind of dig into all that there's a ton of other stuff in there as well the the uh, we count down the greatest death metal bands of all time uh, we have our tribute to the one and only lg petrov you may remember that we did our own tribute here on the podcast a few weeks back uh, so that's all very exciting stuff uh, and it is all in the brand new issue of metal hammer that you can only get in shops right now or via tinyurl.com slash get hammer that's tinyurl.com slash get hammer to pick up your copy and if you are excited about that evanescence feature and the fact that there is a new evanescence album out in the world right now uh, you're going to want to stay tuned to the metal hammer website because we've got a very very special bundle coming just for you evanescence fans so stay tuned for that that'll be up in the next week or so Right, let's just crack on with it then shall we so uh, we're going to do a hall of fame this week this is the metal hammer podcast hall of fame this is where we induct one album by a legendary artist into our imaginary Hall of Fame. It's not a real Hall of Fame, obviously. There is no building. You can go and look at these albums or anything like that. It's just a bit of fun, but we do take it all very seriously indeed. We have previously inducted the likes of uh, Slipknot's debut album, uh, Follow the Leader by Korn, uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden, Alive or Just Breathing by Killswitch Engage. Loads of classic albums have been inducted into the Hall so far. And this week... We are, we are tackling, I'm so excited I can barely talk. This week we are tackling the one and only Metallica, the biggest metal band in history. Fact, they just are. And we're going to do a Hall of Fame with them today. The way this works is that we take their entire discography of studio albums, put them to a vote over on the uh, Mount Hammer Facebook group, uh, the Facebook reader group, I should say. 
Uh, and uh, the top two most popular votes in that get entered into a little debate where we pick the final entry into the Hall of Fame. Uh, so all three of us here in the studio today are big Metallica fans. We all kind of came to them at slightly different eras of the band's career as well, which I think should make for an interesting conversation. Uh, before we get stuck into the two albums that made the final vote, uh, Jonathan, where did you first kind of get into Metallica? Where were they in their uh, career at that point? Um, so my first album was actually And Justice For All. Um, and it was... So this would have been about eight, I guess, 80, obviously about 87 or, or maybe even 88. And I wasn't really immersed in the metal world by then. Um, and uh, But the magazine I used to read was Melody Maker. And they were like, um, they used to do kind of, they used to do lots of kind of heavy bands, but like Swans, but not actually metal, that many metal bands. But there were a couple of metal bands that they really used to go on about. Uh, Megadeth and Metallica. And the Metallica pieces sound so, made them sound so fascinating. I went out and bought the gatefold of um, Justice for All straight away. And um, and the rest was their history and my future. And though, what was it that kind of drew you to Metallica exactly? Because that was a really interesting period of their career. Like, they'd obviously lost Cliff. Um, Newstead was in the band, but wasn't really contributing to the band in any meaningful way at that point, on record at least. Um, or at least if we did, we'll never know about it. Uh, and they were kind of like post-establishing themselves as the most exciting band in thrash, in thrash metal, but just kind of pre-establishing themselves as the biggest band in all of metal. Yeah, but in 87, I wasn't aware of any of that. So this was just really just a, a, like a real genuine entry point to the band and the history of the band as itself. So for me, it was just this monolithic album, you know, like the tonality of it, this kind of, slightly slightly monochromatic tonality of it plus also remember like also remember like one you know i'd heard them on top of the pop some of the songs on top of the pops as well uh like late stages and um so it was really when i was like really starting to discover the whole kind of metal scene that the whole kind of history sort of really came came up to me so for me it was just this epic album that was like very different from anything i was listening to but I loved records that had that kind of own sense of their own stature to them. And that, that really had it. And it just really stood out amongst everything I was listening to at the time. Amazing. And Steve, what about you? You came to them at a slightly different point. I'm going to hazard a massive guess that it was somewhere in the 90s. Am I correct? You're very, very correct. Yes. Um, I had... I was, I suppose, a bit like Jonathan, but sort of not really like Jonathan. I was more into grunge and even Britpop a bit, really, before I sort of had ever heard Metallica. So, you know, stuff like um, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana and the like, uh, I, I really, really loved. And, um, and Metallica sort of, there were, there were a bunch of bands who I kind of, knew the name of your Megadeths and, you know, your, your Metallicas, but didn't really know anything about them. And a friend of mine had a tape of the Black Album, which had probably been out about two, three years at that point. And I just remember hearing Enter Sandman for the first time and being like, wow, this is really good. Because in my head, Metallica were scarily heavy, dauntingly heavy, you know, like they were the biggest, they were a proper heavy metal band. The stuff I was listening to was more rock i guess really and um 
you know, I was sort of a bit turned off by the idea of something like Slayer around that point. And here in Enter Sandman, I was like, oh, this is surprisingly tuneful and massive. And then straight into Sad But True. And, you know, the Black Album's a, a great album. But the first album of theirs I ever bought was actually Load. I remember how Load came out and had the haircut and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think probably... The first time I really felt like I really liked Metallica a lot would have been on the Load Tour. And I know that's kind of probably not a very cool thing to say, but I don't really care because I think that album's fucking brilliant. Um, I think it's... Yeah, those two albums, I know it's not really the kind of the peak Metallica, considered the sort of peak Metallica period, but for someone who was, you know, more interested in listening to Blur and Oasis... It's probably quite a good entry point to to hear kind of until she until it sleeps and you know King Nothing and Hero of the Day and you know all, all the stuff in the Black Album as well to kind of ease you into it and from then on I really just I, I felt like oh I can listen to metal bands actually they are they are good so I guess you know it's a fairly it's a fairly common story isn't it that someone hears Metallica and ends up really really liking metal <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you say about um, how uh, you you kind of thought Metallica as this being like ultra heavy. The idea of trying to kind of pierce that that world felt too daunting because I mean, first of all, load fucking rules, um, obviously, and secondly, um, I I got into Metallica through garaging, uh, which I might have said about before. I think I've banged on about garaging before on this podcast, but um, I was a total new metal kid. Um, and I didn't know really anything about metal beyond the absolute surface level stuff that was in the, the kind of the charts at the time, pretty much because metal was in the charts back then. Um, and, uh, my friend, um, played me Metallica's cover of so what, and I had literally, even with like new metals, you know, kind of swearing and braggadocia and everything else. Like I'd never heard anything like that song, like the lyrics in that song, I felt like you know, like the first time I'd seen a horror film or something like that, I was like, I'd, what the fuck's going on? And obviously that wasn't really the most accurate representation of Metallica themselves. But that album in general ended up getting me into a ton of other stuff as well, including that like Motorhead, I got in off that, Sabbath, tons of bands that I'd never heard before, before I listened to Garaging. Um, but I didn't actually really go near Metallica properly for a year or two after that, because I did go out and buy Master of Puppets. And when I first bought it and listened back to it, I found it, too dense and heavy and like I this is beyond my my uh point of reference and I didn't know what the fuck was going on so it took me a little while to get into Metallica because I was too much of a new metal baby at the time um but uh yeah so we've all come in at different points and it's um it's just weird that I think Jonathan's gonna say something what is it yeah yeah what? no I, I actually just kind of realized obviously it would have been 88 that I heard uh, my justice for all but um there are actually probably the first metal band I probably heard full stop like you know wow. in, back in 88 you know you know the, the, the two bands I was really aware of was was them and Slayer and um you know I was you know you know my whole thing at that time was kind of industrial music so I was into like really heavy stuff like Godflesh and Swans and um the Young Gods uh and this was just you know obviously a different kind of heaviness um but it, there was something really just really epic about it that really spoke to me um and so at the time it was just kind of part of the whole mu music tapestry of stuff i was listening to um and 
yeah, and then when I and then just you know, around about nineteen ninety, uh, my whole world just kind of blossomed into into totally diving into the whole culture of metal. But um, but but and just before was generally not just my entry point to Metallica, but my entry point to heavy metal as a as a thing. You know, I was I was into ACDC because uh, we had a we had a video of them live and used to watch it over and over again on not even Betamax, it was on Scotch tape back then. Um, but um, but yeah, so but uh, yeah, so I was into heavy stuff, but this was just a new heavy for me. And obviously there was a whole history behind that as well too, that I kind of totally lost myself in eventually. Yeah, it's yeah. funny you saying that actually, Jonathan. I think probably thinking about it, Metallica in terms of a, not necessarily a heavy band, but a heavy, but a metal band, probably were the first, probably genuinely were the first metal band that I heard as well, I think. Because, you know, I think that in the 90s, the sort of, the aesthetic of being a metal band became uncool. What was cool about Metallica is, for me, you know, I know, again, people sort of laughed at the haircuts and the Anton Corbin photos and stuff like that, but that was much more of a, a turn, like, as someone who's, you know, my, when I was growing up, my favourite band were U2. And that whole acting baby look that they had on load, I was like, this doesn't seem kind of ridiculous to me. This seems cool, you know? Like, they, 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 they look like U2. They look like Depeche Mode. I like that shit. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to them. Like, and you know, and probably somebody like Slayer tattooed heads and stuff. Uh, and you know, the devil was a bit more of like a, a, a more difficult thing to maneuver, but it's amazing how quickly that shit blossoms because from load, I mean, it must've been a month after I heard load that I would have gone and bought Sepultura and Pantera albums and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I Although people might go, oh, you know, that's a real weak album or whatever. That was a bad period and they sold out. Not at all. I think it, yeah, it's still a really, really great kind of bridge for people who know nothing. I would still probably give somebody Load or the Black Album if they'd never listened to metal before. That's still probably something that I would give them, like, straight off the bat to be like, this is the first metal album you should listen to. Load's a fucking great album. I mean, we can, you know, spoiler, it wasn't voted into the <laughs> Hall of Fame debate, so we won't talk about it later. But yeah, loads of fucking great album. And it really kind of, I, I should add as well, technically I was a bit more ahead in my uh, my metal travels when I heard Metallica then, because that was your first metal band for both of you. But for me, I was already well-versed in the likes of the Union Undergrounds and Drowning Pool. Actually, so, you know, having said that, really... what am I talking about? You know, I was obviously aware of Maiden, because they obviously they were obviously um you know I remember one of the hills on top of the pops, and um, and you know one was a huge hit and the video for that I used to see on top of the pops as well too, but also you have got to remember that like I grew up in the eighties so nothing's ridiculous to me. You know what I mean? Like I grew up with like you know when pop stars were from another planet and everything, you know I grew up with like you know ridiculously flamboyant pop stars the kind of the kind, you know maybe any Lady Gaga you know. Or people that will ever like come close to so so you kind of like back in the 80s everything that was kind of like different and exotic you kind of normalized it um and and even then like and just before wasn't the heaviest thing i'd listened to because obviously you know i was listening to swans and pixies and industrial music which is actually heavier than um than um uh and just before all was but it just it just had a different um it just had a different palette and yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, and and the, you know there was something sort of vast to it, um, for such a monochrome palette, compared yeah. to what I'd normally be listening to. 
Well, I think the kind of common thread throughout everything we're talking about is that Metallica just immediately stood out in the metal scene, certainly immediately stood out in the thrash scene, and they just, they've never, ever, ever stood still musically. They've always pushed themselves forward, especially from the period of, you know, up to, I, well, I would include, uh, I guess, Reload, and St. Anger's a bit of a unique thing that we don't need to get into right now, but certainly for the first kind of, you know, 20 years of their career, they just were by far and away the most interesting, innovative, forward-thinking, ambitious band to come out of that Bay Area thrash scene. And I think the two albums, I mean, we're not wasn't too much of a surprise um, who the who the listeners and readers voted for for this because the two albums that came out on top were Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, which I think is not a massive surprise. Did kind of wonder if maybe Black Album might swing in there because that was a, a you know a lot of people's first metallica album a lot of people's entries points but it was ride the lightning or master of puppets and i think it's not a coincidence that those two albums are held in such high regard and this is going to be such a hard uh, hall of fame podcast to vote on um because really those two albums are where we saw metallica fully elevate themselves away from being an awesome thrash metal band uh, into the undisputed leaders of the movement and the most vital band in heavy metal itself um you're talking about a clear elevation in songwriting in ambition in risks taken uh we know that kill em all helped kickstart and kind of shape a genre in thrash but really ride the lightning or a master of puppets have done as much to actually define heavy metal as as anything that came before or since i think um and i guess the kind of key things that you can point to where these huge steps forward came from uh, are kind of simmered down to maybe two or three things. First of all, they brought in Fleming Rasmussen as a producer um, and he stayed with the band up until And Justice For All. Uh, we also, of course, had Kirk Hammett more involved in the songwriting process, but crucially, uh, they gave Cliff Burton more direct involvement with the songwriting process as well. Um, and I think a lot of that sense of epic, grandiose, classically-minded songwriting that's running right on these albums can really be kind of laying, laid at his door. Um and when you kind of sit back and look at these two records now, you could you could make a very objective argument for them being the greatest back-to-back albums that metal has ever produced. I mean, you're talking about two ten out of tens here. Is that is that fair to say, or has my hyperbole gone away with itself? Um, no, definitely not. I mean, I think they're both absolutely, without question, classic records. I don't think anyone would ever, you know, there can be no argument against that. I think. Um, as we get into it, you know, the if we're if we're picking, I don't know. I think if we if we're picking holes in it, we're going to have to be very very sort of harsh on this. I do actually think there's there's a couple of things um, in certain places where I I think that they maybe slightly missed the bullseye a little bit without wanting to kind of go too far down to what we'll be talking about but undoubtedly in terms of sort of you know what thrash metal was uh, particularly when ride the lightning came out i think that's a real that's a real game changer for the genre just because of how you know if you listen to anything from thrash before that record came out no one's even really trying to do much different are they i mean it's not even I think the the borders of that had been so tightly defined. It felt like they'd been really tightly defined, and Metallica just didn't really, or don't, and never really seem to care that much about 
being stuck too much. Like you say, they change all the time. So, but that was a you know we're not surprised by that now. But I suppose back then people would have been really shocked at the idea of it. Yeah, I mean, I think you can probably pick little holes in in each of those records, but for the majority of those records where you can't pick any holes, those moments are ten out of ten and life changing and totally game changing. Um, and yeah, Metallica were never a typical thrash band. Uh, first of all, they weren't really like thematically the same as like a lot of thrash bands, where a lot of it was really obviously response to the Cold War and the fear of nuclear war. And and so they did two things that were, that were very different. They internalized it a lot more, like in in the sense of the lyrics. Like it was all you know, it's all about feeling trapped, and you know, metal was always about, especially in the eighties, was always about the sense of like liberation about you know you can you know for a 13 year old who's going through acne or whatever and there's this kind of nuclear war coming and you can see how that can be almost like this, this almost like liberating thing from the, the sense of it can be thrilling and dangerous and exciting but also the idea of it being liberating maybe we're all going to live in this like crazy new world afterwards with, you know full of zombies and and gangs and everything glowing neon and stuff so so first of all they kind of internalized a lot of the themes and made them and made them not on this kind of nuclear war thing, even though they're probably informed by that sense of sense of like constantly tensing against, um, you know, the the threat of it. And that's what the eighties felt like to me: this constant tensing. Because I, I I genuinely used to think that every siren I heard was a nuclear siren going on, and I can't really explain the level of paranoia. You know, when you had TV shows like The Day After, and the British one whose name I can't remember now, um, and so. For me, thrush is always that the physical sound of that constant tensing your muscles against, like bracing yourself, bracing yourself, bracing yourself against what you think is going to be a nuclear war. But what Metallica also did, they brought the pace down a little bit from the normal kind of speed thrash metal. And when you bring down the pace, you allow a whole load of different dynamics to emerge, and that you know, it becomes something really fertile. And that's exactly what happens. And you can hear it, you know, in the in the in the first album too. But you really hear it in Rather Lining and Master Puppets, as well as, you know, the huge love of Iron Maiden and Sabbath, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, written all over it as well. Um, let's get stuck into it then. Let's get stuck into Ride the Lightning first, uh, you know, as soon as it was released first. Uh, <laughs> released July 27th, 1984. So it's just over a year after Kill Em All. Um, I mean, as Jonathan said, like, you know, Kill Em All's a classic album, obviously. It's one of the greatest metal debuts ever. Um, and there are a few different dynamics in it, especially when you consider Anesthesia and things like that. But really, Ride the Lightning is a significant evolution, and not just for Metallica, but just for... The, not just thrash, even, just for the entire genre. It's really significant. Um, and the changes in pace on this album, the, dim the different kind of atmospherics that this album plays into, it's just a stunningly diverse record for... And yeah, fair enough. They were they were different for a thrash band, but they were still essentially a thrash metal band. And this is two albums in that they're making these kind of leaps. Um, you've got like the kind of straight up ferocious machine gun thrash of Fight Fire with Fire and Trapped Under Rice. Uh, you've got the more sinister chugging meaty tracks like Ride the Lightning and Escape. You've got this immense monolithic instrumental with Call of Cthulhu. Um, and then you have a trio of songs which to me sum up the sheer scope and majesty of what made Metallica the greatest heavy metal band in the world at that time. Um, for whom the bell tolls and especially Creeping Death, to me, are just heavy metal incarnate. Like, if I was going to play, 
like we talked about playing someone who hasn't listened to metal before and stuff. If I was going to play, an, if an alien came down to Earth and just said, play me a song that encapsulates heavy metal, I'd play them Creeping Death. Um, and for whom the bell tolls would be very, very close on that list as well. Um, and then on top of all that, I've not even mentioned what is my favourite Metallica album, uh, Metallica song of all time, sorry, which is Fade to Black, which is just an astonishing track for a band that young and steeped in that scene to be putting out. This kind of beautiful, emotional power ballad that just builds into this magnificent final third that just sounds like nothing else that was going on at the time to, it, that, that was put on kind of that kind of scope and level of just wonderment. Um, it's a fucking phenomenal album, isn't it, Steve? Oh, mate, yeah, it's amazing. B- before you pick the holes. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's it's amazing. And I think particularly to pick up on those three, I think you're very right to pick up on those three. I think there's, you know, fucking top quality stuff happening all over the record. But for me, I mean, just to kind of, yeah, just to sort of go in with a, a big statement early on, I think if you put these two albums together, as tight as it might be for the gold star um, number one tip top song I think Creeping Death is pretty much unbeatable I think if you were to rank every song on both of these albums put together I, I, I'm pretty sure Creeping Death would come out on top and that's one of the things that makes me go yeah it's 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 maybe a, a it's quite a tight call between these two albums when you say how hard it is because Creeping Death is fucking outrageous I mean, I just I remember the first time I heard that was um, after I got into Metallica and I got the Cunning Stunts um, VHS video. And again, they open with So What on that. And then they go into, I believe they then go into Creeping Death as the second track. And I'd never heard Creeping Death before. And seeing it in like the live environment with them in, in 1996 with Jason Newstead doing the Die! motherfucker die like those backing vocals i just remember being like what is this song what is this how is this even a song like how is a song this good ever been made it's fucking brilliant and it's one of the times where metallica i mean all that stuff jonathan was saying about and i I totally agree with him with, with like you know metallica making i guess a more kind of personal and relatable and um there's certainly when you look at some of the album covers that were that now look quite kind of cartoonish from thrash metal back in those days, or I don't know, intended to be OTT or intended to shock or intended to kind of um, have this aesthetic of you know gruesome grime and nuclear war and stuff. Metallica were they, they didn't necessarily do that, but this this creeping death being about a kind of Egyptian plague of. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just fucking like everything about it is it is metal. It is the most metal thing that's ever been metal before ever. It's amazing. Um, For whom the bell tolls is incredible. Um, And yeah, fade to black is the moment, isn't it? Where you sort of you you would probably think there's no one else could do that. I think Metallica probably could have gone as fast as Slayer. They probably could have gone as technical as Megadeth. But could those two bands have written a song like Fate of Black? Especially in 1984, I don't think they could, no. Not in a million years, and that's no slight on those bands. But yeah, it was just just something else. So what you got to say about Ride the Lightning? Well, obviously um, you came in on the album 
the album kind of after the two we're talking about. So once yeah, you kind of went and back what, and what, what I would normally do as it, when I did with discovering bands, you know, I'm I'm kind of quite completely linear like this. I I go I start from the beginning and then go through all the things. You know, I'm still like an albums person. I can't I I could never shuffle tracks when that was a thing. You know, um, so it, it's weird because like uh, yeah, because what you said about creeping death, like like especially when you see him live. Like especially songs like that and fight fire with fire, like there's something genuinely primal, even though it's really controlled, that um it's just beyond ration beyond beyond rationality, and um that to me that feeling is what heavy metal is for me. It's kind of like absolute primal, beyond rationality beyond rationality, but really holds you in place, and that's exactly what it does. And it's, it's so I can, so. Especially coming after um, Kill 'Em All, you know. Sometimes I think my issues with Kill 'Em All is that actually it's a little bit fussy. Like a lot of the guitar leads are kind of extraneous; they don't always need to be there. So this was kind of a much more disparate album, and it does so many different things. But it's it's really funny that it starts with Fight Fire with Fire, which is such a linear track, and you, and it's and it's weird because you mentioned that in comparison with Chapter Under Ice, but like. Like where Fight Fire Fire is so linear, like there's there's bits on Trapped Under Ice where the riffs are, seem to be coming in from all different angles, and they yeah, could do all fair. these and and they could do all these different things, um, and make it absolutely like a totally whole album. And then you you got like Fade to Black, and you know that opening third, it sounds like you know like the kind of the, the you know the, the guitar bits and stuff. It sounds like somewhere between like Sabbath and Proto Alice in Chains. That kind of the way that the way they kind of down tune the guitars and and the way it's kind of arranged, I can well, I can imagine Alison Chains having listened to Fade to Black, especially the beginning bit, and gone, hmm, maybe we can do something with this, you know, the guys yeah. that eventually, you know, and um, yeah, and but also the thing I love about the album as well is that the riffs are really tied into the themes of the songs. So you've got for whom the bell tolls. And and that kind of crunching riff is so inexorable that it's just leading you towards this doom. Um, it's just like, and it totally fits in with the whole kind of sense of what the song's about. And then, you know, when you get that break that spills out of it, you know, that, that sort of cascading break, it's just like, oh my God. Um, and and they just do other weird things, just like um, Escape. You know, the, you can really hear the, um, you know, the Steve Harris bass in that. And you could hear that actually a lot in um in Kill 'em All as well too. It's that kind of like slightly busy bass that Steve Harris sometimes did, especially at certain points. And then and then it just it brings it, but then it kind of brings it down a key, almost from a new and it, and it turns into something else. And then like all those kind of stops and starts where they not stops and stops but when they kind of suddenly change the pace. And it's not like a sudden wrench, but it's just um it just pulls you in so many different directions, but. Just like, but it looks like we've got you. Like, you know, like when the sirens come in on escape, it's just like, oh, it's just, it's just amazing. And um, so, yeah, so there's something really, they know what they're doing, but they've also tapped into something primal that for all the frenzy of, um, you know, a lot of thrash, and I love a lot of kind of particularly spend, frenzied paramet speed thrash when, when speed metal and paramet were the same thing. It's got its own kind of, unique primal thing but a lot more space to express it yeah no it really has and it's just kind of uh that thing you say about 
that kind of primal urge, that primal like. It's just it's like this un this unspoken thing, like the unspeakable thing that just kind of lies under a lot of thrash metal, and and Metallica just channeled that so ferociously on the on the kind of heavier, faster songs on this, and I think that's what makes a track like Fate of Black so astonishing because it's like it's the fourth track in as well, so it's like you've got like Fire Fire with Fire, which yeah is is relatively straight up for what they were doing at this point, relatively straight ahead thrash metal, I guess, um, but still kind of a ferocious, fiery song. And then you've got Ride the Lightning and For Whom the Bell Tolls, which just, again, you know, if you're going to chuck a, a, the song for me that's kind of not quite on the podium for Ride the Lightning tracks, it's probably Ride the Lightning itself because it's a fucking unbelievable song and it sounds so good when they play it live now as well. Um, uh, especially with the um, the kind of Hetfieldisms that he throws over that track now. Uh, and then four tracks in, you've got Fate of Black, which is just like, again... You just can't overestimate how strange of a song this was to hear on a thrash metal album in 1984. It it just kind of didn't make sense with where people thought this scene was at. Um, and there's just like it's it's seven minutes long, and it it seems to just breeze by because there's just not a second wasted. It goes through so many different moods and atmospherics throughout the track. And um, like I said earlier, that final kind of minute or so when it all just kicks off again i don't know if there's ever been a minute of heavy metal that kind of makes me want to crowd surf more smash a table up but also just like cry at the stars at the same time it's just like it just pulls on it pulls you in every possible emotional direction in the space of no time at all um and yeah it's just uh, i don't know for me i i don't i can't see many chinks in the armor of ride the lightning if you were if you were going to kind of do a bit of hole picking Stephen, where would you where would you start well it's funny that you've just picked up on that because i think i mean i mentioned fade to uh creeping death and fade to black to me fade to black is such a an astonishingly odd moment in an album that starts with three just rip snorting killer songs and then you've got creeping death as well which i think is just a fucking masterpiece in between that, I think you've got, if we are going to be super harsh, and I think we're going to have to be, you've got two, I would say, of 80s Metallica's weakest moments. I mean, Trapped Under Ice, I think, is decent. I, I've got to say, I don't, listening back to it today, I think Escape is fairly unremarkable, to be honest. In fact, I would go as far as to say, if you were to take Metallica's 80s output, I think Escape sits pretty near the bottom of that pile to be honest when you put and justice for all master puppets ride the lightning and wow kill them all, all together i think it's in the bottom couple of songs escape i think it's and it and the, the problem is is fate of black and creeping death are so great i mean if you put ride the lightning after fate of black you might get away with it or if you had you know kind of fight fire with fire and creeping death next to each other I think they can go toe to toe with each other, but to me, the album—I'm not going to say that it. Well, no, fuck it, I am actually. It dips a little bit. It dips a little bit in that area because I think Fate of Black is just such a what the like that is just a, this incredible soaring moment, and I don't think Trapped Under Ice is. If you're going to kind of try and bring it back, Trapped Under Ice is not the song to do it. I mean, obviously, we're having to be super, super, super harsh 
on this because you're talking about two of the greatest metal albums. I said, I said we take it seriously. That's what we got to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I was sort of deliberately looking for a chink in the armour and I think, I think that's it. I think Trapped Under Ice and Escape, particularly Escape, I think are the, the slight chink in the armour of Ride the Lightning for me. It's quite a sizable sizable one though, really, because you're talking about a quarter of the record. You you're know? talking about a quarter of the record, but then you're talking about a quarter of the record and you're talking about eight songs, six of which are perfect. Do you know mm. what I mean? Six of six are, like you say, 10 out of 10. And I think if you're putting a, a, um, an eight and a seven in amongst them, then, you know, obviously there's a noticeable dip in quality for those songs, but not maybe necessarily a massive dip. I think, you know, if you put Escape on... I mean, if you put Escape on St. Anger, it's probably the best song on the album. <laughs> Definitely the best song on St. Anger. the best song on the album. And I don't hate all of St. Anger, but, you know. Um, so I think it's just sort of context of what's surrounding it. I think it's just that it is surrounded by songs that are so brilliant. So just mind-blowingly brilliant that it's very, very difficult to compete. And if you were going to pick any kind of weak spot across those two albums, and when I say weak, I don't mean rubbish. I just mean slight dent in the, like, slight just dip. Then that's that's the place where it is for me. Wow. What do you say to that, Salts? I have a totally different opinion. And I think you're Ooh. wrong. You're a hideously, hideously ugly freak. <laughs> sorry just cry, I just just quoting christmas there um no no no. i just have a different perspective on it uh because like you know i look at it as an album and it's the second album where they're, where they're discovering all these different things they can do so everything every of those first seven tracks is an absolute discovery and it all becomes one album the weak point I have, and I think it's exemplified by the fact we haven't even talked about it after all the songs we've talked about, is The Call of Cthulhu. And I think, you, you, I don't think it needs to be there, to be honest. I think you, you, could, have, you could have got something much close to, to a, um, to a um, Rain in Blood if you just took that track off. It just, there's bits where just, because it, it's at the end, it almost feels like an anti-climax, at least with um, uh Orion on Master Hobbits it's a penultimate track so they can pick up again afterwards but there's just bits on Call of Cthulhu where just like where are you going with this so just like, and I, that's the bit where I tend to lose my, 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 my focus on it and it just seems a bit of a weird showy off showy way to uh, end an album where like everything is so position tooled and even the even the bits that you think are like you might say a week or whatever everything's there for a reason um and I don't really see the reason of Call of Cthulhu being there. And I just I just feel it tends to, over its eight minutes, it tends to drag a bit. Uh, Maybe nine minutes of, even. I mean, I, I, I love the Call of Cthulhu. They started with it when I saw It's got I its moments. Them. It's got its moments. There's only like parts, that, there's parts that, um. but I just, I, as, I just, I don't see what it really has. I don't feel like it, it's one of those things that adds a dimension to the album. Um, right. You know, okay. I just, I just, I just, it just feels like a kind of a coda. A Interesting. Little bit. Well, you could argue that they kind of refine, certainly refined the uh, instrumental uh, side of their game on the next album. So let's move on to that, shall we? Because how do you build on an album that is maybe, if not quite perfect, certainly the most stunning thing thrash metal has produced at that point. You could argue that thrash metal was at kind of peaked 
with Ride the Lightning. Um, and so they followed that up by putting together an album that has widely, uh, you know, you could almost say objectively been cited as the greatest, most important, most vital heavy metal records of all time. Uh, Master of Puppets was released March 3rd, 1986. So a bit more of a space. So you could tell Metallica were kind of gaining traction because they toured a bit more for uh, Ride than everything else. Um, upon release, it was critically acclaimed for the most part. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it a glowing review. They said Master of Puppets is the real thing. Metallica has the chops and subtlety to create a new metal. That's new metal, not new metal. Uh, if they ever award a titanium album, it should go to Master of Puppets. Uh, Karan gave it a similar review, uh, saying that Master of Puppets had finally, or should uh, finally, put Metallica into the big leagues where they belong. Um, and it was also an instant commercial success. It sold. I know Metallica were a big band by this point, but this is a thrash metal band. <laughs> they sold 300,000 copies in their first three weeks with this album. Just unimaginable numbers by today's standards for uh, for kind of metal especially. Um, and they did that with no music videos. Jonathan pointed out earlier that one was obviously a massive, massive deal. It was the first thrash metal music video. Uh, it got the massive airplay and everything else. Master of Puppets didn't have music videos on it. And it still did all of that without that kind of extra level of promotion. Um, obviously, it's gone gold and then it's gone mega ultimate multiple platinum since then. Um, I think that's an official statistic. Uh, and its legacy since then has just grown and grown. Uh, it was, it's always featured in things like Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, uh, the famous book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. It tops most kind of greatest metal albums ever lists, to be honest. Uh, and in 2015, it was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for, and I quote, being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So this is as important and influential and genuinely game-changing as metal has ever got with Master of Puppets. Um, and I'm interested to see what you guys say about this with what you just had to say. I was quite surprised by a couple of takes on some of that Ride the Lightning stuff. Because uh, for me, there's not really a second wasted on this record either, um, which is pretty impressive. There's no song here under five minutes. So again, even more little signs of ambition and scope kind of going on. Uh, I do think that compared to the gap in musicality and just general musicianship between Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning, you could say that in comparison, they pretty much took what Ride the Lightning had established and kind of grew that rather than take another, you know, from, you know, huge incomparable sonic leap. Um, but again, it's still this just dizzying mix of styles and sounds and atmospherics and different levels of pacing and everything else. Uh, coming out of the gates with Battery and Master of Puppets one after the other is fucking obscene, to be honest. Um, and then you've got things like the, this towering imposing march of The Thing That Should Not Be. You've got the sheer majesty of Sanitarium, which is definitely my favourite track on the album. Um, you still have the kind of breakneck speed metal in there with tracks like Disposable Heroes and Damage Inc. And, of course, um, you do have what is arguably Cliff Burton's finest moment in Orion. What an album. Um... What are you saying, Steve? <laughs> what? Well, yeah, what you said, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I pretty much agree with all of that. I think everybody does. I think everybody listening does, don't they? I mean, I've never met anyone who says they like heavy metal, who says they don't like Master of Puppets. And I think, you know, there's there's that, Rain in Blood. I mean, are there any other records that are, I mean, maybe... British Steel. Yeah, one of some of those early Sabbath ones. I mean, I think even British still. I think if you went up to a kid who's into Of Mice and Men and 
like modern metalcore, or whatever, they might go, no, I'm not really into British Steel, I'm not into Judas Priest or Grew them then. Yeah, but 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 those I'm saying that I think those people might exist. Whereas I think that same kid would probably still go, Yeah, Master of Puppets is wicked. Do you know what I mean? That's how fucking broad a spectrum. I think literally anyone that's interested in distorted guitars in any form probably thinks Master of Puppets is fucking brilliant. And, uh, you know, and luckily for all of us, we're all right, because it is. It's an astonishing record. Um, I, It's one of those ones that I don't play it very much because obviously they play the majority of it live still to this day. Um and again, like, I think for me personally, I think the first, like, I mean, I am being, if you thought I was being kind of super harsh on Ride the Lightning, I had to, to be really, 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 really super harsh on Master of Puppets, I do think the first half is a stronger half overall. Like those first four songs are the, it never really, it kind of peaks after those four and I don't think it ever goes Oh, no, it does really. I, I think the first four, I think the first half is better, right? But I still think the second half is amazing as well. Um, that would be my only vague criticism of it: is that the first half is slightly stronger than the second half. But apart from that, I don't really have anything negative about it to, at all to, to to add. I think it's just oh, it's fucking brilliant. This record, isn't it? I mean, to, I know I'm supposed to be paid to come up with. Uh, better words than just it's good but I don't have much else I mean what else can you say it's fucking Master of Puppets of course it's great you know yeah it's uh, it's an astonishing astonishing album and I know yeah I see I see what you're saying about the first half like I mean I don't know if there's ever been an album in existence that could follow Battery Master of Puppets the thing that should not be in Welcome Home Sanitarium like that is an insane run of songs um, do you kind of uh, agree with Steve's main points there Seltz yeah um, there's one thing you said, said I, I kind of disagree with it a little bit. Like I know everyone says, like you know, it wasn't as big a leap from Ride the Lightning um, as that was from Kill 'Em All, but the differences are subtle. But I think they're really sort of quite fundamental, and it, it and it's very and it, so it's very different. Like how I experienced the two albums, Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets, and this is where I find like how it's really hard to judge. So that there is kind of another level of complexity. And really subtle in Master Puppets, and so like you know, there's bits like you know, like like you know, you know Master Puppets the track itself, you know, when when the, the that sort of you know neon guitar riff kind of falls it like cascades out, it's like it's like one of those bits that just belongs to the universe. It's just like you know, like in Battlestar Galactica, when all the you know when all those people they hear all along the waterfront. And it's become and becomes this kind of thing. It's like, oh my god, I'm a Cylon. Well, they could have swapped that in for that riff and um, Master Puppets, and it would work just as well. It just that you know that's the thing. Like the reason these riffs are primal is because they just belong to the universe, and that's that's what um, you know Master Puppets does. And um, but so I find myself like different different experiences listening to the two albums. Like I'm kind of completely gripped by Ride the Lightning. And Master Puppets, I'm gripped by it, but I'm also in awe of it. And of just like the level of detail that's really subtle. Just like Disposable Heroes, there's this kind of connecting, galloping riff that's at one pace. And just like when you, when you hear it, it's just like, oh my God, it's just like the way they put the song together is just amazing. And then when that galloping riff kind of gets comes in a bit harder later on, but it's just like there's so much stuff going on under the surface of it. So 
I find myself kind of in awe of it, and I sit and I start. So for me, like master puppets, I get a bit more panoramic sense of it, um, which is slightly more distancing than the I get with ride lighting, where I'm completely gripped in it in in the moment. And there's bits where you just got to step back and go, oh my fucking god, you know, um, like what they're doing is amazing. So it's just it's just slightly but really fundamentally different responses, um, and you know there's weird bits like. You know, like in Leopard Messiah, where the riffs, like, they feel like they're being, like, the riffs aren't fully charged, like they're losing their charge or something. And that just weird things. And it's got that kind of, you know, that real kind of weird, you know, it's got the real maiden esque mid song breakdown in the middle of Orion. And you can, and you can, again, that's really, you really hear these sort of, you know, you know, it's, it's really maiden esque in particular in the bass lines and everything. And, mm. and then you get the twin leads come in, but then they, the twin leads do something very different from what, um, uh, Maiden do with twin leads, and my only issue with that song is is that like, well, like those riffs, those kind of twin lead riffs, they're a bit like merry go round a little bit. Um, okay. You know, do you know what I mean? So just I I, I just feel like th there's little bits in the album where they kind of lose where they are a little bit, and then they kind of pick it up again in this like um. You know, and then the, you know, there's this elemental riff that comes in later on, and then it, and it pick and it just like right, you know, they're back on track, and. I kind of like song, when songs break down and they start up again, but like there's just little moments on Left and Messiah and Orion where I'm just like, hmm, you know, but then um, you, get so Damage Inc. you get Damage Inc. Yes, where you it's do. like this completely perfect war machine. And like, you know, all the riffs are like, you know, it's like, it's like, they're like woven steel. And then you get that lead break and it's just like, this is everything I ever want from a record. And um, but I love, but I also love the fact that they, they let you know they, they didn't make Orion the last song in the way that they made um, Call of Cthulhu the last song. So it actually just you you got this kind of like longer, and then it the completely kicks back in with a final burst of adrenaline for Damage Inc. So yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's a good palate cleanser that you that can be quite useful for those kind of yeah. tracks. Yeah. So 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 the way I the way I feel listen to those records and the way I feel about them. It's subtly but fundamentally very different, and that that's what me that's what makes it really hard to choose between the two. Because I'm in awe of Master Puppets, and I love Write the Lightning, and um, how do you choose between those two? Those those two those those two things, you know. It it it, it depends what you it depends what you you're wanting at any particular given like it's like a lenticular i could look at them one way and look like one thing i could look at them for a different angle and they'll look you know the two together will look will look kind of quite different so anything i choose today i might feel differently on a different day about those two records it's just um yeah it's it, it's it, it's really hard to choose one over the other there's a level of control on master of puppets that i think you know that kind of i think you can still hear the kill em all alcoholica you know, wild kids just playing heavy metal music still on Ride the Lightning. They've just got really, really good at it. But when you listen to the control of the tone on a, a song like The Thing That Cannot Be, or Thing That Should Not Be, sorry, um, the the way that that comes in, it's just, I don't know, there's something that like, the confidence that they have throughout and the control they have over the entirety of Master of Puppets Again, yeah, I think like that's really, really impressive. But it's actually quite a um, 
I, I think something like San. I mean, Mo, you mentioned Sanitarium being your favourite song, and I, I don't think it's my personal favourite. So I don't. It's one of the you know, it's one of those records, Master of Puppets, where I don't know what my favourite song is because oh, you know, on on Ride the Lightning. Creeping Death's the best song, I think. And like I say, it might be the best song out of all of these, but definitely for me, Creeping Death, that's the moment. On Master of Puppets, because everything, pretty much everything, is so good, your favourite song changes all the time. I mean, it's usually one of those first four for me, but it's just everything's so good and they're so in control of all of it that you, you listen to a song like um, Sanitarium and I think that's... they. It's something, although it is really kind of contained and controlled and they're really focused, there's still something actually quite um, similar to what they had with what you said on, on Fade to Black, where it makes you want to kind of hug your mate, bang your head, neck a beer and cry all at the same time. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's my favourite song on this album and Fade is my favourite song on on uh, on Rides because it's, yeah, it definitely stirs those emotions. Um, so yeah, it's uh, so before we kind of, um, I don't want to kind of spoil it before we do the actual vote, but it, it, I'm so interested in some of your takes on some of the slight, slight areas where this album loses its way, or there's some slight, you know, little cracks in the armor, like we said and stuff. So is for both of you, is your favorite Metallica album one of these two records? If you were picking one, no, yes. Ooh, interesting, interesting. But... Okay. Having said that, but I I still love um I still love uh, Black Album. I really love the Black Album. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, you know where they went. Maybe one day we'll do like a nineties one of these. That'd be fun. I'd love to do a Black Album versus Load one of these. That'd be great fun. Um, can we right. do well, can I we think... do Lulu versus um, uh, Death Magnetic one day as well? Then we can only because I think you will be <laughs> like you you might be cancelled for what you'll probably end up saying. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do it then. Let's uh, let's let's cast this vote. So, Ride the Lightning versus Master of Puppets. There's three of us, so only one of these albums will make it into the sacred Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. There's no going back on these. I'm going to come to you first, Stephen Hill, for a closing statement and your choice, your vote. Um, did you want to know which one of my Metallica albums that wasn't one of these two is my favourite, by the way? Go on, then. And Justice for All, I think, is the best Metallica album. Uh, it's the fucking angriest album and the heaviest album they've ever made. And I know people can bitch and moan about the production. I think those songs are fucking unbelievable. So anyway, that's Unjustice for All done. Um, this going into it was massively daunting. Really, really daunting. I've got the Ride the Lightning Deluxe Edition box set sat right there and I pulled that out the other day and I whacked it on and I just... I thought this is fucking fantastic this record and unfortunately I don't have the Master of Puppets one so I've had to listen to that on you know mp3s and that but I was struck with just that little that little dip in Ride the Lightning and I think potentially the the high points and the important points on Ride the Lightning Fade to Black being an absolute game changer of a song Creeping Death probably being just the outright best song I think if you were to look at that there's a very, very good argument for Ride the Lightning being the album that goes in. But Battery, Master of Puppets, Thing That Should Not Be, Disposable Heroes, Leopard Messiah, Damage Incorporated, Welcome Home Sanitarium. I just, I, I, I think it's, it's impossible for me, really, 
having listened to them back to back, it's very, it's not impossible, but it's very, very difficult for me to pick anything other than Master of Puppets because I just think the reason people, the reason I don't have much to say about Master of Puppets is because everything, that is pretty much everything, apart from what Jonathan said, it's actually Jonathan brought a little bit of new perspective to an album that I thought I'd heard everyone say everything about. But um, the reason it's got that, that reputation is because it deserves it and it's earned it. And it really, it really is one of those times where yes, that record really is that good. And when you haven't been back to it for probably like five years, I can't remember the last time I actually sat down and listened to Master of Puppets front to back. It's one of those. It's <laughs> it's one of those things that is. It's such a fucking joy to put it on when you haven't listened to it for years because you are reminded every single time you put it on, you are reminded of just what a perfect example of this genre of music that is and the reason everyone loves it is because i mean it's it's flawless it's perfect it's it's un, it's untouchable pretty much um and the fact that it's not even my favorite metallica album is fucking madness but yeah for me it has to be has to be master of puppets i think I I think that's very very fair and uh, well articulated and I don't I don't know if I can objectively if it's possible to be objective I don't know if I can argue with a single point you've said there um, and I think the thoughts that you had on that slight dip in Ride the Lightning I definitely acknowledge for me it's uh it's a case of like a run of ten out of ten songs dipping into like nine point something out of tens. Um, and I do love Call of Cthulhu as well. But Master of Puppets is like, it's hard to argue. I think that the worst, if that's the best way of saying it, thing you could say about Master of Puppets really is that they basically, like I said earlier, and as Jonathan quite well argued, um, points to the contrary, but you could kind of say like, well, they took this unbelievable step up and forwards from Kill 'Em All with Ride the Lightning and the the gulf between Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets is smaller. They kind of took the same template and arguably made it better. That's like the worst thing you could probably say about Master of Puppets. And even then you're kind of acknowledging that they still improved on what came before. But for me, these are genuinely two 10 out of 10 albums. And um, the only thing that I can pick between them Sounds like an obvious thing, but it's literally just which songs I prefer because I don't think artistically there's a lot I can really call between it. Um, and so for me, even though if I was making like my favourite, like 10 tracks out of both of them, it might just end up with more out of Master maybe overall. Well, I don't know if it would actually. But anyway, like for me, the existence of Ride the Lightning, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black and Creeping Death just just edge it for ride the lightning for me because i think if you're making a list of the single greatest heavy metal like heavy metal's greatest moments where heavy metal the art of heavy metal was perfected you could pick numerous moments from those four songs i just mentioned because they're all absolutely fucking unbelievable um and i think something about what jonathan said about how you kind of are in awe of master of puppets definitely resonates with me because i'm in absolute awe of master of puppets but it doesn't quite 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 pull the same emotional levers for me as i think ride the lightning just does in moments like fade to black and so for me i'm gonna vote for ride the lightning 
Um, and I wanted to put that in first so that Jonathan gets the deciding vote. No pressure, oh, Jonathan. What are you yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm shit. Okay. Um, my reasons are for what I'm going to choose. If there's a Venn diagram, probably overlap with yours, Merlin. Maybe not so much with um, Stevens, because we have a different. With, but the thing I don't necessarily agree with with either of you, because like I said, I'm an albums kind of guy, so I don't really see it in terms of individual songs. And like I said, I experience the um, uh, albums differently. Um, now, in some ways, objectively, slightly more objectively than subjectively, Master Puppets is the better album. It's just what they're doing is so advanced. And yet, so technically, and still just kind of, there's still that feral thing in it. Um, the reason I'm going to choose the album that I'm going to choose is really kind of really quite personal reasons. And um, it's just like, so probably my favourite, one of, probably one of my all-time favourite records of, metal records of all time is, is Altars of Madness by Morbid Angel. A record I didn't get at the beginning, but I just now just like, but there's two things. First of all, it makes me, every time I hear it, I feel like something's going to burst out of my chest. But I love albums like, like that, where it's, it's really a transitional album that's on the cusp between thrash and death. And it's in, the, it's in the process of changing. And when you're in that process of changing, there's this wild energy that you can't replicate other than that moment in time. And, and just, you know, I, I, like I said, I love that moment where it's kind of, it's slightly out of control. And so... I'm going to go for just re on for really personal levels, kind of right the lightning because I just think that album couldn't have been made at any other time. And I think a lot of what Master Puppets did, they then picked up on, you know, with with subsequent albums, and like you know that awe and stuff. But there's a uh, but there's but there's a certain visceral thrill that maybe objectively it's not better than Master Puppets, but that's not always how you judge things, especially in metal terms. And so, just for that kind of visceral uh, thing, I'm going to have to go with Ride the Lightning. And I know this, and I know we're going to get shit for this. Uh, <laughs> not me, lads. Just leave me out of this, all right? I I went with the. I'm with all you lot who voted, like overwhelmingly voted for Master Puppets as number one. I, I believe on our, our. That is that is true. That is true. But you know, yeah. But like I said, it's 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 so tough. It's just like it's literally I could I could feel definitely on a, on a, on a different day, um, and it's just like I said, it's just a slight different angle, but just it's like a lenticular. Like you look on a slight different angle, things look very different, even from the slightest of different angles on on something. Um, so yeah, it's just my personal. Thing. I just I just love that kind of I just love that kind of raw energy um, that um, that you know. People, people will tame over certain things that makes me much more majestic out of it. But it's just that raw, in the moment energy that um, Ride the Lightning's got. And the fact that, you know, it, it doesn't have the fussiness of um, Kill Em All. And I just feel just like, there's so much in Genesis of, of what came on afterwards, but it's just, it's it, but in its kind of more Genesis state, I just love those states. So that's a really personal reason why I'm going for um, Ride the Lightning. And, um, you know, objectively, Master Puppets is probably the better album but um on a pure experience level for me it's rather lightning 
There we go. We put me and Jonathan basically both just admitted that we're wrong, but we're voting for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so there it is. Wow, no, no takes backsies. Uh, Ride the lightning goes into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. Um, luckily, you can go listen to both those albums. We're not deleting one from history. It's fine. They're both still here. But uh, that was a wonderful debate. And uh, it doesn't get much bigger than Metallica, but we do want to do plenty more Hall of Fames across the year. So any other ideas for bands that you want us to cover in this fashion, head over to facebook.com slash MelhammerReaders and uh, and let us know who else you'd like us to to give the Hall of Fame treatment to. Uh, Thanks very much for hanging with us, Jonathan and Steve. It's always lovely to have you boys on. We'll be back soon uh, next week, in fact, where we're going to do... We're going to do a reviews roundup. That's it. So we're going to do a reviews roundup of all the cool things from the last few weeks that we haven't had time to review on the show. Uh, so make sure you tune into that if you want to know all the essential albums you should be listening to right now. Um, that is what we'll be doing on next week's show. So join us then. Don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer. And thanks again to the Conjurer Boys for providing this fantastic new theme with us, which we're going to play again right now. Stay safe and stay metal, everybody. Goodbye. 